Welcome back after Easter celebration to Say Something Interesting, podcast coming at you from the pretty spring-like eastern Washington right now. It's pretty nice. Got to be honest, it's pretty nice, guys. I woke up to an Instagram post by uh, one of my friend Ryan. His wife posted a picture. They live in Fishers, Indiana, and snow on the ground over there today. And I know that he's just angry. He's angry. He's just an angry <laughs> elf right now at all of the snow. And I told him, I lied to him today. I, I sent him a little voicemail and told him it was like mid-60s and, and beautifully sunny. It's not mid-60s, but it feels good in the sun, guys. It's warm when the wind doesn't blow. Yes. yes. It's that season. So we like to do this podcast. Uh, we're from a church called East Lake Tri-Cities. My name's Margo. And I'm Brent. Sorry, I missed it. I missed the cue. We are My fault. we are post Easter for me pre coffee. It's a danger oh, zone. Folks. It is. It's like an Easter hangover, but it's like a good hangover though, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, like the, like a I did have coffee. Great this workout or hike or marathon. You feel Something. accomplished. You feel like you worked your butt off and yeah. you earned those dipping dots. Yeah. Four. I preached four times yesterday, which is a, uh, it's a record for me. I don't think I've done it four times before. So yes. that's uh, that was a win. So but. give some grace to well, your yeah, pastors. I, I feel bad for the six o'clockers. Who knows what I was saying at six? I don't even want to listen <laughs> to that. Speaking in tongues, you. it was just like <laughs> it was all over the place, guys. <laughs> They're like, wow. I was on a dipping dots high and just absolutely. Is it is it cold brew in the lobby or is it actually? <laughs> yeah, we switched else it over. Tap. We switched it over that night. Yeah, but uh, we just finished our ser- service and kind of series we'll slash one uh, off. Yeah, it kind of I fit mean, in with the Who Is This Man series a little bit, but uh, and we also gave out Dippin' Dots at the end of service, which is different than our tacos. And by the way, my kids, my my little my little girl uh, Jovi had um, at least three cups yesterday after each service, and they were so excited. And Kyla last night was like, "Hey, we should." go to service and, and go to nights with you. She had, they'd never been to nights before or she hadn't been to nights. Kyla hadn't. And so she brought the kiddos to nights and on their mind was one thing and one thing only. Does that mean we get more dip and dots? And absolutely. And then my son wakes up this morning and all we hear, this is at like, I don't know, six 30 London comes running so into our in. room. I oh, slept in. Well, I think he was up earlier, but London comes running into the room going, Grayson puked all over the floor. And, uh, <laughs> and he comes, he comes in, uh, oh, and at one point, I do remember this too. He had come in a little bit earlier, probably like six or something. I don't even know. And said, Mom, I'm kind of hungry. Um, can I have some candy? <laughs> still going. Oh, trying still to keep got the, it. Trying to keep the dream alive. Of course, as a good parent, we said, heck no. Um, help yourself to some sugar cereal. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, so anyways, we're, we are dealing with, with the uh, Easter hangover on multiple levels. <laughs> multiple levels today. The candy coma is real. Yeah. And I, I really, I don't think he's sick. I think he genuinely just had way too much yesterday. Easter egg hunts here, or, you know, or, uh, uh, dipping nuts here, Easter egg hunts at my parents' house. All that good stuff, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to putting real sustenance into my body today yeah. because... Uh, since we had the the extra early service, that meant extra early waking up. Which for me, I'm not a big breakfast person, like granola bar and go kind of thing. Yeah, I even think I grabbed the granola bar because we had to get over to Krispy Kremes to make sure our awesome volunteers. I to reward our volunteers for being got here. Got some early. donuts. So yeah, I realized that the only thing I ate yesterday was Krispy Kreme donuts. Oh no, Dippin' Dots. Oh no. And then a tiny bit of leftovers right before the six o'clock service. I didn't have lunch. I didn't have breakfast. I was just <laughs> oh, running on sugar and coffee. It was so bad. So many bad choices. <laughs> Those are terrible choices. <laughs> I'm amazed I didn't pull a Grayson this morning. No kidding. Is... 
No kidding. <laughs> yep. Uh, it was fun. It's always fun. Easter services are great. You get to see a ton of faces. Uh, some of them new. We had lots of new faces yesterday, and then lots of people who you're like, oh, good. You still call East like home. That's excellent to hear. Um, <laughs> we and uh, you. yeah, we miss you. We do meet every week. <laughs> but no, it's all good. We love it. And uh, got a chance to talk about First Corinthians chapter 15 and, and the centrality of the resurrection claim for the church. And it was just awesome. Um, and it's it's funny to talk about an Easter message because, um, uh, one, I feel like uh, it doesn't change all that much. Uh, I feel like people kind of come to expect it. And then and then B, we just this is a this is an anniversary of sorts for us. Um, we realize you realized this last week that we are one year into this podcast. Um, to exactly this, to the great to, experiment to, to the like this is uh, probably our 53rd uh, edition although we did take a, a one week break in there at some point I can't remember Christmas did we t- I think we took a break yeah. at Christmas for one week but but anyways so uh, right at that so it feels like we started on Easter and now we've kind of come full circle and for some reason people are still listening so we just keep putting these things out <laughs> even if it's just our moms both of our moms listening to it and uh, we love that too so so what does Easter normally look like apart from, you know, preaching for services? Is there anything in the Johnson household that's like, we got to do this. It's Easter. Well, Let's go. My dad got a Traeger about four years ago. And so he enjoys cooking now and uh, will smoke just about anything on there. And so that's been our tradition for the last several years. My parents always do an egg hunt. Uh, we uh, the, uh, the parents go out and hide them. And then we let loose the kids. They have like a big playground in the backyard. And we, we always, here's what we always fail to do is count the eggs before we disseminate them into the yard. Uh, and <laughs> You'll so, find them in a couple months. Oh, so. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Lawnmower, whatever. Um, every year, though, we, we go, you know, how many are left? And, and we keep, we, who tells us, ah, next year we'll count. Next year we'll count before we put them out. And then we don't. And that's adult failure. Now, how do you maintain the chaos? Like, the fighting and the squabbling and um well london's pretty big and fast and so she gets first dibs on all those things she's pretty kind though yeah she leaves the say, ones in the grass yeah. uh for everybody else and uh and she then, likes the challenging ones she does she knows that there's like a golden egg out there and she would rather get that than 10 crappy uh hershey kisses eggs you know what i mean really funny though we had a uh a neighborhood one we live in a like a little uh I don't know what complex. you call it. Yeah, complex. Well, it's kind of weird. It feels like no pleasant a little, bit, or... a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, called Ivy Glades in Pasco. And uh, in our neighborhood, we had a neighborhood Easter egg hunt, which our neighborhood is filled with a bunch of old people. And so these have got to be grandkids or great nieces or nephews because there was a ton of kids out there. Um, and it was down, we have this like little tiny park and we went into this park area and you, you, you walk over, everybody walks over and then there's like two zones, one's for like the really little kids, like four and under or something like that. And then the other zone is for all the older kids. Well, all three of mine were in the older kids zone and there were probably, I mean, visually, I don't know, a hundred, maybe 200 eggs out there. And there's probably 30 or 40 kids going after it. Um, so a pretty good egg to kid ratio. <laughs> um, and then there was also like these little ping pong balls. And if you found a ping pong ball, it was a, it was like a golden egg. It was like a big prize or something like that. So they say go and all the kids start running around. I see Jovi around the corner, bawling her eyes out about five minutes later. Like I didn't get very many. And, and, I, and I look in her basket. And I'm like, you got like six or seven eggs. Like that's pretty good compared to the, you know, child to egg ratio that we talked about earlier. Um, and she goes, she says, 
I didn't have any, and people started giving me some. They felt bad for them. <laughs> they felt bad for her. So they started hooking her up with some eggs. Uh, so then I A went, new strategy here. Oh, out. yeah, just totally milk that thing. But you know that they looked at the candy and were like, oh. yeah, you know what? You can have this one. Uh, uh, black licorice? Oh, yeah. This is all yours. Uh, is that a What is this, a Mary Jane? Here you are. <laughs> um, and so then I walk up to Grayson, and I look in his basket. One egg, Margo. What kind of a kid only grabs one egg? I, I, I said, Did I, you I was get like, distracted by <laughs> I walked past three or four on my way to go find the kid. I'm like, what's, yeah, are you distracted? Did you not understand the rules of the game? Did you think we'll go find the best one? I want to make sure. And he like didn't care. I didn't understand at all. He, I don't know whose kid he is. He, he, he doesn't, it, it's not mine. Like I'm way too competitive to get one egg. I don't even care what the contents are on those eggs, but I'm going to tell you I got seven. How much you get? <laughs> and I'm going to make sure I count yours before I ask you how many you got. Make a Facebook post about it. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, London did find one of the uh, ping pong balls. There's a couple of them out there. She, uh, she was on the hunt for one of those. And, uh, she said she got classic, a, a classic chicken. London. She traded in the ping pong for Yeah, a like chicken. a big giant stuffed animal of some sort. Uh, whatever. <laughs> You're such a dad. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> oh, yep. goodness gracious. It was fun. We had a good time. The kids did great. The kids made it to all four services, which is a ton for our family, um, you know, to, to be able to come out and do it. Especially they're, littles, man. Yeah, like, but they're they're troopers. They're troopers in that way. So it was, it was great times. But And yeah. then spring break this week. So it's uh, they're not like no school and London's at a pickleball uh, thing I today. I heard that. I'm like the only people I know pickleball are retirees. Like <laughs> that's a retiree sport of choice. She told right me now. today because uh, I think it's through the Parks and Rec or or maybe maybe the school says I don't know. She's going with some school friends, and she goes, "Hey, Dad, guess how many people are going to this thing?" And I was like, "Oh man, I have no idea." She goes, four. <laughs> like like it's a good thing. Four. Like it's exclusive. It's so exclusive. <laughs> And she's like, I'm going to get, like, all the playtime ever on this thing. Um, and so, anyways, that's she's pretty excited about that. And then we're going to Seattle to go visit some family uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and then back Sunday for service. So that's how we're rolling. Woo-hoo. Yeah, it should be fun. Keeping the dream alive. Yeah. So, fun. It's good. like, my experience with Easter's past is, like, as a kid, we always did Easter egg hunts in the snow. I don't remember... A single Easter egg hunt where you weren't digging those suckers out That's of the snow crazy. bank. That's <laughs> crazy. I, I feel like yesterday was the coldest Easter we've had in years that I remember. Well, imagine the poor parents that, I mean, wait, no. no I mean, imagine the poor bunny that, Sorry. <laughs> that, that's laying eggs out there. Right. <laughs> yeah. In the snow. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Like, you look at the home videos. Like, we're all in these puffy, one-piece snowsuit 80s things and, like, just going for it. But it was another element of danger. I mean, like crawling over snowbanks and, you know, they put them up on high places and you're just like trying to climb up there. Yeah. <laughs> it's all icy. Now, it. was was church uh, was church on Sunday a thing for you on Easter for them? Uh, I probably like when I was really young, we went to Catholic church. Yeah. Um, but I don't remember. Like, I, I remember Palm Sunday because you got the palm. But yeah. I don't really remember like Easter Sunday, which is awful. But I was also like pretty young. And then when we, like, definitely middle school and older, probably even sooner, not so much. Huh. I was talking with uh, Scott Koopman in the um, office yesterday in between services. And he used to be a pastor here in Richland. And and, uh, it, and I said, Scott, you know, did you enjoy uh, 
Easter when you were when passion was your full time job and you had this? Did you and did you like an Easter sermon or was it like because it, it is different? You can't do a series, you you can't not talk about the context. I mean, that's what people are coming to expect. You can't be like, hey, we're going to do a series on family today. Uh, that doesn't work. And he said, well, uh, in the uh, religious tradition that I came up in, um, we kind of, they perceived Easter to be more of a Catholic thing. And so we sort of downplayed the event of it and um, tried to prioritize kind of an every week sort of thing as opposed to giving every into week making. is easter yeah every yeah. week is resurrection we sunday saw, we saw how many posts did you see from everybody all of a sudden everybody's religious on easter <laughs> facebook it's really funny i also um, love like i think it says a lot about a person if they post happy easter or happy resurrection sunday like oh, i feel like there's a, a statement. line yeah. there's a line in the sand sure yeah least we forget and and i do think it is interesting even for us um i feel like our demographic our church demographic is probably not as, uh, I mean, we do get a bump. Like, obviously, our numbers were big yesterday, but it probably isn't, like, we definitely tried to even communicate in the video, like, hey, this is, we do pretty much this every week. I mean, it's not like we had this we big production, up. this we big didn't show. Have, our stage wasn't any <laughs> yeah. different. Yeah, like, next week you come, it's like this bait and switch. You're like, what was last week? You had, like, lots of lights and lots of giveaways and stuff like that. We're like, oh, it's... This is kind of <laughs> this is what you can expect a little bit. I think the challenge but. for the way that we do church too is that we we love this fact about us, but we have a lot of people that call East Lake home that are still trying to figure out like where does faith fit in my life and like do I believe that there's something else out there and do I believe that Jesus was God and you know could perform these miracles. So where a lot of other churches, like Easter is such a, like, it's a celebration of something that we all are on board with. Uh, we can't, we can't really go that same approach just because so many people um, are intrigued by the figure of Jesus, uh, but just don't, like, if we turned it into like, let's celebrate this thing that we, you know, we all know to be true, then that would immediately make some people, um like confused or frustrated or or be off-putting because it's kind of rushing their timeline of like what their walk with faith is going to look like yeah yeah so our approach i think is not that we aren't celebrating (laughs) jesus's you know resurrection but we're not ignoring the fact that so many people have questions about that like good honest you know questions that yeah most people do have i mentioned and i don't know if it was i can't remember i was trying to tell you uh, prior to turning this podcast on, you know, which service I said this or not, because it kind of rotates through and they all start to blend together after the third one. Um, and I, I don't know uh, which one I said this, but I, I basically said there, there are, are um, basically like 10 or 12 sort of angles by which I think are legitimate ways to look at each Easter, pull one of those down and be like, how does this help explain Uh, does this make it more or less likely that the resurrection actually happened based on, um, I I threw out a few of them the other day, right? The, the The change in the disciples, the boldness of the disciples was one of them. Uh, the shift from meeting on Saturday to making Sunday, the meeting day for the, for the new Jewish Christians. It wasn't just a, well, the Jews have Saturday. Um, let's do Sunday instead. Um, 
and now Sunday is part of our American weekend. I mean, it, so it, we we fail to recognize the significance of the shift away, uh, the shift of Sabbath from Saturday to um, Sunday. Um, I talked about, uh, or I've, I've done the expansive growth. How do you explain the the spread of Christianity so fast from that? Um, so, so many different angles. And um, I mentioned, I want to point out two resources real quick that I think um, if, if all of this is intriguing to you and you're like, I'd, I'd love to explore this further and figure out a, a few more of those um, things. So one is going to be more of a secular take on it, a secular historian's take, uh, a guy named Rodney Stark. I, I mentioned his name in one of the, the services, but not all of them. He wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity. Um, and it's fantastic. And he, he writes from a, listen, I'm not a Christian, but I'm a historian who studied the massive effects of Christianity on the Western world as we know it. And these are kind of like, like really some undeniable stuff about it. Um, super easy read, uh, paperbacks, like nine bucks on Amazon or get it to your local library. Um, and then also, uh, a book that w- was actually a debate. This is the one that, um, I, I pulled some resources from for this this specific series, but um, a debate between Gary Habermas and a guy named Anthony Flew, who's a pretty renowned atheist. They're both kind of significant debaters. They did a uh, an actual debate at Liberty University in 1985, and they p- compiled that into a book called Did the, Did Jesus Resurrect from the Dead or Did the Resurrection of Jesus Happen or something like that. That's the title of it. Anyways, it's a debate in a book, and it's kind of an older book, but it's... Uh, it's a great one as well, and a chance to be able to dialogue through a couple of uh, interesting points uh, in, in all of that. So, Because when you read your Bible, you're not getting like all the historical accounts and, and things like that to balance it out. Like Reading your Bible really is faith, being like, these are real people and real things. So, yeah. I mean, if you find that your faith is shaky or maybe not as solid as you want it to be, then it, like don't be scared of historical resources. Like, yeah. Just seek those out to kind of shore up those questions in your mind and really get to something that's solid and, and works for you. Yeah. Uh, and interesting too, because when you read the gospels, um, there are some gospels that talk about the resurrection and then Mark just ends with, and he died. And then there's this text about him uh, doing this appearance, but in the subscript, it says this was probably added at a later date because what's funny is the early church, there were probably some people after this whole thing kind of started forming, like they're like, uh, after the Gospels were, were pretty popular and they realized, hey, Mark's missing a few things. We should probably <laughs> add some things for him because yeah, we he, don't want them to miss out on the resurrection, right? Well, he was probably like, you guys just told me to write what he did, yeah. like his teachings, and I did that. And it also doesn't include any of the birth narratives. The birth narratives yeah. are, are only Matthew and Luke. Luke. And so we, we get nothing in, in Mark about that. Mark literally starts with him um, doing like the whole... Uh, uh, temptations in the desert and and John the Baptist temptations in the desert calling of the disciples and then moves on just real quickly like yeah you're right like if if you were to ask somebody hey I need you to go downstairs and and find count. some info about Arnker Trude's life like yeah. you're gonna get you know you'll get some stuff in there but like people are like but I want to know about this and this and you're like well fine because I'll add it like, yeah yeah <laughs> or then they come up and you ask them something unrelated to that will tell us about Uncle Harry's job and you're like well you didn't ask me to, to, you know, research him. Well, they were married. Well, yeah, but you told me Aunt Gertrude. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I'm focused on this. That's kind of an interesting perspective on it. But, um, yeah, that's good. Um, let's see. 
<laughs> we're still in that like <laughs> slow move. <laughs> yeah, which which is so. Here's what's interesting about uh, the podcast a year from now. You and I both listened to, or I, I listened to it after you told me, "Hey, we've been doing this for a year. You should listen to our first one and see kind of how slow moving and how lost we sound in the podcast." I don't know that it's gotten much better. I think we've just gotten more polished and, and be able to speed things along. That's probably all it is. But um, yeah, anyways. <laughs> Uh, I do want to take just a second and uh, just a shout out to all of our volunteers. We don't get to do this very very much, or you know, we try and keep this podcast a little bit separate from like the actual business of the church. We don't promo a lot of like here's what's coming up this weekend or anything like that. It's more based on the teaching. But we had some pretty stinking amazing volunteers over the weekend. Uh, makes make so many things happen. Whether it was worship team with four bands, four I mean four not four bands, sorry one band. Four services, multiple times, literally all day, completely volunteer-led. Uh, kids area teams, um, just huge, so many kids, and uh, uh, just trying to, and, and then the process of getting it, and then, th- like, the next wave comes. Like, we start at 8, we got done at, like, 8.10, um, and... The, or, sorry, not eight ten. We got done at like nine ten. Excuse me. And then as soon as people are walking out, they're walking back in. You know, there's like this massive crossover. There's no chance to catch your breath, uh, literally until the afternoon. And uh, we just had some amazing teams do uh, with greeting and and uh, people that came out during the week and helped us get the building. Yeah, we awesome had like a super mega ready. surf thing on Saturday, and so and, and lots of new faces in first surfs too, which is always always a good thing. So lots of uh, so if you enjoyed Sunday, just know that. A large part of it had nothing to do with what me and Brent were doing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Teamwork makes a dream work, right? So it, it was good. But um, So we are starting a brand new series this weekend called Guardrails. And uh, I, I just said we don't promote our church very much. But I, I do, uh, I, we we want to make, we, we mentioned this earlier on the podcast, like what you saw on Sunday was probably a pretty decent experience a pretty pretty uh uh, you might have a couple recognizable experience a couple more inches of elbow room next week but yeah yeah far from that yes um and we have so many dipping dots left over i don't know what we're gonna do like nights i don't know night services i don't know if the dry ice is gonna make it till next sunday well we might have to replace that or i don't know what we're gonna do (laughs) or just eat a lot of dipping dots this week grayson come on (laughs) no no he does not need any more that's for sure. But uh, yeah, a new series starts this week. Uh, I can't remember how long it's going for. I, I, I've got a calendar, but I haven't looked at it in a while. So who knows? Who knows? You're doing one of them in that in that point, I think. Yes. Um, so I'm interested. What is this series? Yeah. What on? are we talking about? Um, <laughs> so that'll be that'll be a fun little combo thing. So what's um, it? What's your one sentence summary of like what we're gonna try to tackle? Um, the whole the one sentence summary that I tried to say on Sunday, and I don't know if it got right, but. Um, is this idea, I just feel like a good series on boundaries and healthy boundaries in our life is important. Things that like, things that we would pre-decide are going to be important for us. And because you you never make the right rational decisions in the moment, it's always best to pre-decide. And it's, and it's healthy to say, um, I'm going to, uh, I'm, I'm going to have this boundary in place not because I think that I'll ever need it, mm-hmm. um, because nobody ever thinks, "Oh, I don't want to go down that road. I don't think I'm ever going to need that." I don't. I never drive on the road thinking I'm so thankful those boundary rails are there. I've never hit one before, even in my car accident with the uh, semi like a year and a half ago. I never hit a guardrail. I went Ooh. right in the back of that thing, right? Um, but when they're there, uh, if you ever did need them, they would be saving you from a huge. 
a, a huge issue. So what kind of, what kind of, in looking at your life, what can you say, I probably will never need this, but I'm going to, I'm going to decide to have this in to, place. To protect my family, my marriage, my personal my sanity. My family's <laughs> too important, right? I don't think that I'm going to look at that or do that or have an affair or, or make that, those kinds of decisions. Like I don't foresee myself. And that's the problem. Like I think sometimes when you, when you want to form those things, it feels like, um, if I go down that road, people are going to think that's something I'm currently struggling with and I'm not. <laughs> so what do I, what do I do? Like, do I just not address it? Which is, that's an unhealthy thing too. So it's, it's about, it's about taking an honest inventory really of, of, um, our, uh, our self recognizing that, uh, we give ourselves sometimes a little bit too much grace on some things. And, um, it would be, it would be wise for us to take some good personal inventory and come up with uh, a plan for what if, what if, what if, and when that happens. So, um, it's still in formation very much, but I, 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 I have had too many meetings in the last coffee meetings. Like, Hey, can we meet up? And you're sitting across from somebody, and you probably have done this too, and maybe you listening as well. You have friends who come to you and asking you for advice. And you look at them, and you want to say, really healthy boundaries would save you from so much of this mess. Mm-hmm. But you can't say that in the moment, right? You have to look at it and be like, I'm so sorry that he's a jerk. I'm so sorry that that <laughs> happened. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, and um, so how do we... Like how boundaries do we... and expectations, I kind of feel like go hand in hand. Yeah. Like setting up those safeguards, but also letting people know that they're there. Like, hey, just so you know, like, yeah, this is something we as a couple aren't like just gonna dally with, or you know, just you know, I expect that, like, <laughs> yeah, you're gonna be faithful <laughs> and things yeah. like that. Uh, let's talk about our interesting things. Uh, we we try and close out each episode with something that we have found interesting as of late, and uh, something we read, watched, or experienced. And Margo, you want you want to start us off? Sure. Yeah. So this is something I watched a long time ago, but it came back to my mind because it was one of my favorite mini documentaries, mini menturies. I feel like it should have a cute word for it, but I can't think of it. So, uh, so documentaries are like mini episodes anyways. They're like small movies, right? Well, so. some of them can be pretty long and lengthy. Oh, okay. This one was like pretty short. Okay. Like probably 45 minutes or an hour oh, or nice. something like that. Um, but it was nominated in 2012, which is when I think I watched it for like the like an Oscar or Academy Award or something. Uh, and it's the movie was called God is the Bigger Elvis. Uh, and it's about an actress from kind of the golden age of Hollywood's 50s and 60s. Uh, her name was Dolores Hart. And she got her her first break in Hollywood was starring beside Elvis Presley. Hmm. Like at 16 years old or something ridiculous. <laughs> so went to Hollywood with a hope and a dream. Ended up being cast with Elvis right away. Like this, so far from what reality actually looks like as an actress or actor. Uh, and then she went on to star with people like George Hamilton, Robert Wagner, and then like Montgomery Cliff, a bunch of bunch of big names. Rising Star was compared uh, to, gosh, Doris Day, like beautiful girl, very talented, um, was really building her acting career and all these things. And then um, was raised Roman Catholic and got engaged to this man that was the love of her life. And then in the midst of her engagement, like she was doing all the parties and, you know, rubbing elbows with the big wigs, realized, uh, I think I'm actually called to be a nun. Oh, wow. So she left Hollywood, like literally at the height of her. In the middle of her engagement. In the middle of her engagement, in the middle of her career that was 
booming, like yeah. truly booming. Huh. She left it all behind to become a nun in Connecticut. Um, so she became a nun in 1963. So she was still pretty young, like early 20s, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, and gave it all up. And it was it like just her story. She's still alive. Uh, is remarkable about why she made the decision that she did and like the adjustment period. Um, and there's like cool things like um, Paul Newman would do fundraisers to help the monastery. And they actually put on like a theater production every year to help uh, with the work that they do. And she's still involved. She's actually on the board for the Oscars. So she is the only active serving nun <laughs> currently <laughs> on the board that decides like what films, like I just like picture her watching some. She voted for sister act. Yeah. <laughs> is that what you're saying? <laughs> But I get to see her like watching like Birdman or like yeah, some of those right. weird movies. Like, like totally different world. Huh. But she's kind of she's still pretty sassy. Uh, she's known for wearing a beret over her habit. Like she's a like the fully cloistered like so looks like your traditional nun. But she wears a beret because she's like when you shave your head, man, my my head's cold even with that thing. <laughs> she's she wears a little beret on top. Really really fascinating person. Um, but the documentary is really wonderful, like really interesting, just learning what it looked like to enter the monastery back, you know, before they kind of loosened up <laughs> uh, and what her daily life looks like and um, how much of an advocate she still is for so many great causes and in and outside of the Hollywood era. Like she attended the Oscars for the documentary nomination, which was the first time she's been in like 60 years or something really cute like that. Uh, and actually... This is kind of like, for all the ladies out there, this like tugged on my heartstrings. The man that she was engaged with moved to the same area so that he could still be close to her, never remarried, and still goes to visit her. And they go for walks in the monastery garden. Oh. Like, ugh. <laughs> all the Get feels. Get yourself a man who will go on feels. walks in the garden with like, you. All the he feels. He just never moved on. <laughs> <laughs> what if... <laughs> What if she was like, dude, you got to move on. You got to uh, get no. out of here. <laughs> so the movie is called God is Bigger Than Elvis. God is the bigger Elvis. Oh, God is the bigger Elvis. But yeah, and Sister Dolores. Is it Netflix or, or how do HBO, people find it? HBO, but you might be even be able to find it on YouTube at this point just okay. because it's been some time. Okay. But worth checking out or just go down the click does hole. Does she have a favorite college basketball team? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay. Are you, uh, so there's a... Uh, uh, a, Maybe the women's Yukon? I don't know. Yeah. There's a, a sister Jean who's been kind of like the most famous figure in college basketball for this NCAA tournament. Cause she's a 98 year old um, woman uh, confined to a wheelchair who's a big fan of Loyola Chicago who made this impressive run as an 11 seed to make it into the final four. Wow. In fact, in the final four, this is my, by the way, I'm transitioning to my something interesting. Wonderful. Um, two of the four top four teams are small Jesuit schools. Villanova, which is the number one team in the country they're playing tonight for the national championship versus Michigan, as well as Loyola Chicago, both another small Jesuit school. Jesuit schools, small Catholic schools, dominate in basketball. So my favorite team is the Zags. You know that already. Um, the entire conference of the West Coast Conference are all small Jesuit schools. Um, and it's just, it's, it's an amazing, a lot of them don't have football teams. They only have basketball teams, but they do really well. So I read an article that was in the uh, New York times, uh, this last week, why are small Jesuit schools so good at basketball? Um, Marquette, uh, Villanova, Creighton, all of these, um, tons of these teams are all, uh, like what, what's the significance? In fact, in the, um, 
in the Sweet 16, so there are 16 teams left in the tournament, they did this this survey of what are the largest schools in terms of undergraduate students left in the tournament. Uh, the smallest, was, and, and all these Jesuit schools are small. Gonzaga was the smallest at Sweet 16. They had 7,000 undergrad students. Duke was next at 8,000, which is surprising. Duke's like yeah. a perennial all-star, 8,000 students, the largest. Texas A&M with 53,000 oh. students. You're talking <laughs> about a school jump. with 53,000 students versus a school with well, 7,000 students. Maybe because their money students. is just spread out so much more. That's part of it. So I, in this article, this uh, this reporter talks about how um, a lot of these Jesuit schools uh, were in big, big cities that were um, lots of segregation, racial segregation and socioeconomic differences. And it's a lot cheaper to house and train and field a basketball team than any sort of. Uh, football team. Football teams' rosters are typically about eighty kids with about forty, fifty scholarships. Plus all your equipment and the, the equipment, field. the field, the, the taking care of all of that. Um, it is a lot cheaper to do this. So in um, you know uh, Midtown Philadelphia, Midtown Chicago, a lot of these small Jesuit schools would focus on basketball and and raise up these kids to say you know we can't be good at everything, but w- what we can be good at will help you be good at. And so they've had this like perennial run of having in a, a super leveraged success in basketball, primarily because that was what they could feel and they could do at the time. That's what they could afford to do and, uh, and create opportunities for kids who otherwise wouldn't have um, a lot of great opportunities to compete uh, in, in kind of a bigger realm. And, uh, you know, also you only need, you know, five, six, seven good players as opposed to football. You really do have to have that many, that many greater players. And so, um, that also helps in terms of it, but it was a really great piece on um, just how missional a lot of these smaller private schools have treated their basketball programs and um, throughout history. And I don't know if it's as much true today, you know, with the whole it's, it's incidentally basketball is a very monetary driven thing. Right. So but at least at least in history, you could look at it and say it was a, it was a, it felt like a little chapter. Um, from that book that we went through in this last series, who is this man, John Orberg, about how the Christian influence has kind of been kind of seeping through a lot of Western culture and kind of made its way. The reason that we like hospitals or the reason that hospitals have come to be a lot of times is because Christian people um, went in when other people were running out of, of towns that were overcome with the plague. And, and so there are a lot of these nonprofit organizations are started from a religious angle. Um, and the same thing can be kind of said in this way for college basketball. So, <laughs> did you ever watch the documentary Hoop Dreams? Uh, no. It's one of the most famous sports documentaries of all time. Hoop uh, Dreams. E- I don't think so. Ebert and Robert. Who are the original like movie critics? The movie critics. Wasn't it Roger, Roger and Ebert? Or? Yeah, they yeah. both said like top five movies they've ever seen, which is crazy. Uh, but it follows two boys, uh, two black kids that I forget if it's Chicago or Detroit, but they live in in the hood, for lack of better terms, and a private Christian high school that's known for just like building up these excellent players. And they usually if they go to college, they go to one of the best basketball colleges. And then but oftentimes they've had people that have been drafted directly from this high school into the NBA. Uh, so both the kids kind of get pulled out of public school. And put in this like white religious environment uh, to for this intensive basketball training and just follows their careers and what that looks like. But 
<laughs> and it's a documentary. It's like yes. a, okay, cool. I, you could, I'm, it's pretty old at this point. Like I think it was filmed in the late nineties. I think I watched it on YouTube, but it's definitely definitely If you're into basketball at all and like if culture fascinates you and stuff like that, it's totally worth watching because these are real people and you can see where they're at today and stuff like that. So Awesome. Good stuff. So a couple of things to fill your time this week and uh, uh, keep you busy until next week's episode because we know that your life is full of stuff. We're glad that you would spend 35 minutes with us. Thanks for doing it. We'd love to have you back next week. We'd love to have you on Sunday as we kick off our guardrail series. Uh, But uh, you can find us on social media at uh, I'm at Brent Johnson, J-O-H-N-S-E-N. And uh, Margot is on the Instagrams at Adventures and Caffeine. There you go. And she's got great pictures of a trip that she took. Uh, recently with her uh, friend Caroline, who was here last week. And uh, just she's got the way more outdoorsy photos. Like, so if you're into like kind of like adventure, <laughs> follow her. Adventure. I don't know for me, if you like pictures of my kids um, throwing up and, and dressing our dogs up and then, you know, doing crazy stuff, stupid stuff, then follow me. But that, <laughs> that's what you get. I'm just giving you a heads up. That's life. That's real life. Real hot take. All right, guys. Thanks. Have a great week. See you.